Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. I'm here with our publisher, Pat Jones, down in our podcast recording studio. We're going to review 2016 and look ahead to 2017. A lot of things happen in the golf business this year, and a lot of things are going to happen in the golf business next year. So, Pat, what are your thoughts about the year that we had had in the industry? What were some things you saw that were encouraging, and what were some things you saw that maybe were a little disappointing? Well, first off, I just want to comment on the fact that we're literally in an old bank vault that's that's in our building, and it, it's really kind of cool. And, and I'm I'm glad we're doing this, but I, but I do think we've kind of crossed the ESPN threshold now, where we're interviewing each other. And this is something I've seen on ESPN over the years, and I always kind of make fun of. But I guess now we're doing it, so now it's okay. So uh, back to your question. Um, I see everybody getting smarter. You know, I, I, I still see I, I see nice growth among uh, in the smartness category of clubs. We saw a ton of people uh, building practice facilities to help players and members get more value out of the, the, the club or the, or the golf experience. We saw tons and tons of, of courses fixing stuff that had nothing to do with distance, bunker renovations, better grasses, um, trying to get the native areas right um, instead of just chasing uh, distance on, on balls and clubs. And I think that's good. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a reflection of the let's make the most of the game and the business we have. Let's, 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 I mean, the fact is, and this is true at every level in golf, it's true for clubs that are trying to sell uh, memberships. It's true for daily fees that are trying to sell rounds. It's true for uh, uh, suppliers that are trying to sell chemicals or seed or fertilizer. The pie isn't getting any bigger for any of us. It's true for us. It's true for us in the media. So the pie isn't getting bigger. So the question is, is how do you get better so you can get a bigger share of a gradually shrinking pie? So I, I'm heartened by what I saw in the market this year uh, with with facilities doing the right thing and getting smarter overall. Did you see anything out in your travels or when you were looking at some of the industry research that, that made you think that wasn't right? I thought the business and the industry would be doing better in that regard. Yeah, you know, you still see, you still see, uh, I think, too much focus on the, the, the rules. And, you know, the, the thing that obviously jumps to mind was the, was the U.S. Open. And the 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 ruling that 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 basically dogged Johnson throughout throughout his round and and really kind of spoiled an otherwise fantastic U.S. Open and kudos to Oakmont for just being the greatest site ever and that golf course said it before I'll say it again it's as good as I've ever seen a golf course look and I've been looking at major championship sites for thirty years um, but but by choosing to focus on the micro. And, and the, the, this did it or did it not move, and can we see HDTV? It, it sends a message to everybody sitting at home that golf is all about these rules that I'll never understand, and, and I have to be a great player, and it's all about the scorecard and the rules, and it's not. Golf is about fun. Golf is about fitness. Golf is about spending time with family and friends. And that's what we, we wrote a column this year. Uh, basically talking about the fact that only 2.5% of golfers in America have single-digit handicaps, yet we seem to do everything focused on that 2.5%. And, and I think it's time that we continue to focus some attention on the other 97.5%. So that was the thing that was probably most disappointing, is we're still a little bit stuck in that rut. And, and then I, I think 
golf continues to need to do a better job of telling its story to regulators so we don't get caught up in uh, in, in attempts to regulate uh, water or chemicals or fertilizer when we shouldn't be because we're doing a better job than other guys. So uh, that just calls for continued vigilance. I would say one of the things that sticks out to me, Pat, is when you talk about that other 97% are, are females. Yes. Sagenta in the United Kingdom just came out with a study right. saying that women have the potential to pump $35 billion in, into the golf industry. I mean, it, it's, yep. it's amazing how untapped that is. You're starting to see maybe some focuses on attracting females to the game and retaining them. But but it seems to be this this giant market that, that just hasn't been figured out yet. Yeah, we're dumb, uh, pretty dumb about that. And, you know, every other retail in the world has figured out the buying power of women. And you listen to Henry Delosier. Uh, our, At our, our GCI Tech yeah, our very own Henry Delosier, he, he makes it absolutely clear, and Henry's the smartest guy in the business, he makes it absolutely clear that the future success of our industry is all about women. And, and, and that has a lot of different faces. It has to do with who's playing more rounds, who's buying more stuff. Women tend to spend more money uh, in pro shops than men do. Uh, who is buying the houses that go around golf courses? And you listen to Henry, who's you know, as smart about real estate as he is about golf. And he will tell you that houses are purchased by women. And we we miss that focus and we miss that opportunity to market to them more effectively. And it really, it's not that complicated. You need to take the the take the embarrassment factor, the intimidation factor away from those first few times out on the tee box. You need to give them group opportunities to learn the game and have fun. You need to emphasize uh, the fact that the scoring doesn't really matter as much as the activity and, and the fitness portion of it. So when you, when you look at what women want, fitness, family, fun, friends, and wine, I guess. Uh, why aren't we doing a better job of that? Uh, and I, I think the courses in the future, moving forward, the courses that are going to be most successful are the ones who remember that we're in the hospitality business. It's all about customer service and hospitality and not so much about being a playing field for a sport that's too hard for 97.5% of us to be that good at. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about our own company golf outing that we had in August, I was playing on a team with three females and I think we're, we're four or five hole, holes in and, and they can't find a comfort facility four or five holes yeah. into the golf course. Little stuff it, like that. It's, it's little things like that. And I think Henry mentioned at GCI Tech that one of the things a superintendent can do, some of these things are obviously beyond the golf course superintendent's control, but it, something a superintendent can do is simple as just making sure there are paper products in the comfort stations yeah. that are actually on the course. But, but, but I also challenge this assumption that it's not a superintendent's role to to be a champion for better business practices at their golf course. You know, and, and you, I do I do hear this a lot where we're super, well, that's the club manager's role or that's the the – the, the, you know, the golf professional's role, everybody's responsible for the success of the facility. And, and that's the, that needs to be a team approach. And, and I think the, the best superintendents in the future are the ones that have that good business sense. They understand the P&L. They understand what uh, uh, member uh, uh, surveys look like and what, they're, what they like and what they don't like. So uh, it, it's, it's not something that's beyond our purview just because it's not agronomic. I think everybody needs to be invested in that. On a good note, some of the golf courses that opened this year and some of the ones that went through major renovations certainly have become more welcoming facilities 
holes one through 18 with, with how the games play, Pat. I'm noticing more courses that have fewer force carries, more ability to, to roll the ball on the green because of firmer turf conditions. Is that some of the stuff you've seen too with some of the newer courses you've been to? I, I can think of the loop up in uh, northern Michigan. I visited that reversible course, and that looks like a type of golf course that anybody can play in e- either direction. Yeah, and, and, and just in general, the whole minimalist uh, movement yep. that we've seen for the last 10 or 15 years and and – you know, with all due respect to, 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 to the folks that uh, I think were, were leading the way in design in the 80s and 90s, I, I really like what we see today. And, and it's, it's obviously Doak and David McClay Kidd and others who, who are, are, are designing golf courses around the land that they find. Sand Valley, the Bandon courses, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Cabot courses in, in Nova Scotia. You know, yes, these are not courses that everybody's going to get a chance to play, although the Sand Valley courses are pretty accessible and, and as I understand it, are not going to be ridiculously expensive. Um, I, I think that's wonderful, and I think we need, I think we need more of that. But frankly, we, we just need to do a better job of taking the courses we have and making them more maintainable and more manageable. Um, and we also need to continue, and, and I, I had a great – I would encourage everybody to read Jan Beljan's article, the architect that she wrote in, in the uh, ASGCA's digital magazine recently about, about playing the tees for fun, choosing a tee box that's going to allow you to score uh, well. And, and for me, at 54 years old and, and a 26 handicap – I'm not going to play the back tees anymore. In fact, most of the time, I'm not going to play the white tees. I'm going to go up and play maybe the gold tees because I want to have at least the illusion that I might make a birdie. You know, and so I think we need to communicate that more and more. I was something that got a lot of play on social media a few weeks ago were these uh, revised rules of golf that the Golf Channel issued. And you can Google that if you want to on the Golf Channel site. But it was basically pretty simple, you know, trying to simplify the rules and, and, and make golf more fun and faster and not get obsessed about, about whether or not you look for a lost ball for two minutes or not. Don't look for them. Just go. Just keep, keep the game moving. If you're going to be bad, be bad and fast. Don't be bad and slow. <laughs> so so I, I do see more people getting getting wise about that and it all comes back to not shooting ourselves in the foot by being so anal about rules and so anal about scorecards and everything else that's wonderful for competitive golf but competitive golf is is ultimately a small part of what we do absolutely and a pickup basketball is not the same as nba basketball right, right? what people are playing in the the inner cities is, is fun and enjoyable and it's not what you you see on tv right so. don't obsess about it Pat, there, there were some interesting corporate mergers and movements and acquisitions in the industry this year. Bear Monsanto, Syngenta, yep. ChemChina, Dow, DuPont. How, right. how are these going to affect what superintendents do on a daily basis, if at all? It's the second thing you just said. They really won't have that much impact. I mean, ultimately, you, 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 know, you might see some, some, some changes in structures and, and a little bit in pricing, but ultimately the market is what the market is. And one of the things that really struck me with the Kim China merger, which happened at the beginning of this year, right before the, the GIS show, uh, was how little it, uh, how little concern it really caused. And, and, and the, the whole idea that, that, the, this, that basically People's Republic of China bought the largest participant in our industry, Syngenta, one of the largest. And, and, and it basically, everybody was like, oh, okay, 
well, all right, as long as I'm still going to have the same products and the same service, the same culture, and, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. So that's one where, where frankly, it's, I think that's going to be a pretty good, healthy merger for the industry. Uh, the jury's still out on what's going to happen with Bear and Monsanto. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty tricky bit of business to take a, a company like Monsanto, which has uh, a great technologies but a lot of baggage, and integrate it into a, co- a company like Bear that's very – very buttoned down and very good at what they do. So it's, it's, it remains to be seen. But f- frankly, it's global financial markets. It has zero to do with us. It, it, you know, people you don't read too much stuff into that because that's all about uh, giant corporations getting even gianter and people on uh, boards getting giant bonuses and things like that. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. That's a great point. I think people hear merger or acquisition and we're, we're so conditioned maybe by hearing some of the news that comes out of Wall Street, that, that, that that's a bad thing. It means layoffs. It means changes in research and development. But you're saying in this case, it, it, it's really not maybe what we see here in the Midwest with the auto industry and some, <laughs> right. some other businesses. It, it's 16 steps above us. It, it, it really doesn't have a lot to do. Now, Now, if I'm in the, a big-time agriculture business, I might be more concerned about it. But in our business, not so much. You know, our business is, is basically extremely well-served uh, by, by companies probably overserved by distribution right now. We've got too many people trying to sell stuff to, to golf course superintendents. And, and just do some math here. There's 15,207 courses in the United States. About a quarter of those courses have budgets of less than $200,000 a year. And that doesn't mean they're, they're not good golf courses or good people or, or good you know, families own those things. It means they're not buying uh, cases of Primo. They're not buying walk-behind green mowers. They're not, they're not investing the same amount of money that, that, that probably most of the other ones do. So, so that part of the market is still pretty strong. And, and, and what they're doing is, they're, from what our research shows us in the state of the industry, is most courses are buying more stuff from one place. They're picking a distributor and they're buying more stuff through early order from one distributor, maybe two. Uh, and, and so you're seeing, you're seeing some consolidation of buying, too, which is smart. It's smart to be able to tell your owner, hey, we save some money by doing this. You get some advantages. Uh, you have a good relationship. Maybe you're getting better consultative service and sales from that organization. But what about the other 93 people that are all trying to sell that same golf course, generic chlorothalonil or, or seed or whatever else? There's not much left for them. So, so I, I do see that there's going to have to be a reduction in the number of people trying to sell stuff in this market over time. There's just too many. We, we can't support all of it. So that's probably the one thing that I think over time you'll see some consolidation of some of these sales organizations. I don't want to give too much away because it's going to be in our January issue, but our state of the industry research shows that maintenance budgets are going to be up in 2017 compared to 2016. And obviously one of the reasons is because of labor and the cost of labor. Pat, how difficult in your mind is the labor situation in this industry? And do you see it as labor maybe hindering the industry from moving forward because there aren't reliable bodies in, in a lot of positions at a lot of these clubs and courses? Unquestionably. You know, and and no, I don't see any change in that. Absent a significant shift in the U.S. economy, um, as long as we're relying on creating conditions based on employing uh, a whole bunch of people at ten dollars an hour, we're going to have problems. And 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 I think it's 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 
I, I don't see any sign that there's going to be a big change in immigration policy that's going to bring H2B back. In fact, I think the opposite's probably true. Yeah, and our research showed that less than 10% of the courses in the U.S. even even use a, a visa program whatsoever. Right, and, and, and we're digging into that as part of a series of articles that we're going to run next year. But no, I, I think it's going to continue to be a problem. So, so what do you do? You, you simply can't create enough bodies. You either A— uh, uh, create technical solutions. So you're looking at robotics. And, I, and, and again, the idea of robotic mowers five or six years ago was kind of a Jetsons laughable thing. And, and there were some out there, but they weren't particularly uh, effective. Now we've got a whole new generation of them coming that do work, and they work pretty well. And, and serious people in this business are looking at these these autonomous mowing systems because it saves a lot of labor, particularly with fairway mowers. And there's going to be at least one and probably a couple of autonomous fairway mowers at GIS this year. So, so you, can, you can find a technological sol- solution to reduce labor, or you can change your standards. Okay, we used to trim bunkers uh, uh, one, every two weeks. Now we're going to do it every two months. We, you know, you've got to reduce hand labor, uh, and you, you've got to change expectations. And, and that's where superintendents have to be as good at communications as they are at agronomy. So you've got to be able to, you've got to, be able to equate for your ownership, for your board, and say, okay, look, we can have bunkers. We can trim bunkers every two weeks, but this is what it costs, and this is what we would have to forego on the rest of the course, just to have them look like that. Now, would you be okay with this? So you've got to kind of you've got to kind of sell them and negotiate with them about what their expectations and what the conditioning standards are for the course in order to be successful. Because quite honestly, it's it's going to be beyond budgetary capabilities for most people to be able to afford to do a lot of this stuff. So it, it it's it's getting more realistic about what conditionings should and can be in an era where we just can't find people to work for $10 an hour anymore. And to me, I think one of the, the issues is that working in the golf industry isn't, isn't celebrated. I think most people will tell you it's a, it's a tough business. D- don't get into it. That's what they would tell a young person or, or their, their own kid. What can the golf industry do to convince people that this is a business going into, whether it's a career, a part-time job, a retire, retiree job? What are some things the golf industry can do to sell itself to prospective employees? Number one, big PR campaigns don't work. And, and I really don't see that as a, hey, you should come work in the golf business and, and have it in GCSA and a bunch of companies throw a bunch of money at that. That doesn't work. What works is at the individual course and community level. So I see these programs and I see more of them emerging where uh, either superintendents or even a, a group of courses locally will reach out to a local high school and they're creating sort of turf programs at high schools and they're creating opportunities for these kids that traditionally maybe would have gone into sort of a tech school kind of thing or not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, they're not necessarily college bound kids. But, but we're reaching out to them and showing them what these careers are like. And I've seen this done for a variety of ways. Brian Bergner up in Chicago. Kevin Smith had a really good program going down in the Carolinas before he moved to Tokyo. And you see these all over the country. Steve what, Cook's doing one Steve now Cook, right. Oakland Hills. Right, exactly. So, so look to those kinds of programs where you can basically – 
create your own supply of workers. And I think that's the solution is, is not going out and selling the golf industry. It's going out and selling Shady Acres Golf Club is a great place to work. And there's a career here for you, and we're going to train you how to do it. And I, I think that's a wonderful solution for the, the shortfall of second assistance and mechanics and, 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 and some of the technical positions that we're going to have. Uh, because I, I think keeping the, 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 the crew you have, you know, you know, recruiting, training, and keeping a good crew is going to be the number one key to success in the future. So, so in other words, so the short version of this is create your own supply of workers through these high school programs or through other ways that you're recruiting people, and, and, and you're going to find some percentage of those kids that see the magic and they see the passion and, and, and they get it. Not all of them will. There's going to be a chunk of them that say, I don't like this getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning thing. Uh, it's, I don't like working in the hot. I don't like working in the cold, blah, blah, blah. You're just going to have to deal with that. But about every third person, fourth person, you're going to find that one that goes, wow, I could see myself doing this forever. Assistant superintendents, you just mentioned it. Huge uh, story this year in a lot of ways, Pat, with, with what was going on with those positions. Uh, the Department of Labor... <laughs> was going to create maybe a positive situation for some assistant superintendents with the the overtime rule that would have bumped uh, exempt workers up over $47,000 mm -hmm. a year. That got a 12th hour injunction down in Texas and right. nobody's knows what's going to happen with that with the new administration coming in. What can you say about assistant superintendents and their pay and what they're going through to get the jobs that they came out of college expecting they would get. It's, it's not an easy situation for a lot of, for, for a lot of them right now. Do you see any op optimism for them? And what are some of the things uh, right. the industry can do to, to, to help this very valuable group of employees? Right. I, I was fascinated by the response when, and I think we broke the news or one of the folks who broke the news that this injunction had been issued against this uh, Department of Labor rule. And it's effectively dead. I, I think we all agree that it's yep. effectively dead at this point. But but it was interesting how many superintendents were disappointed because they felt like this was a, uh, a something they could use. It was concrete leverage that they could use to go to their owner or their 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 general manager, whomever, and and get a raise for somebody they know deserves a raise. So you know clearly there's awareness out there that we're not paying these young people enough to make a career out of this. The days of this apprenticeship thing that go back to you know 100 years ago are over. We have to treat these people like professionals. We can't just treat this as a training position. I, I just don't see that working forever, except at maybe the, the best of the best of clubs, the top 500 clubs. But but for the most part, you're going to have to train and equip and pay these people properly. So so the only advice I can give you is the advice that Paul Latshaw wrote in our, our December issue, our, our turf heads takeover issue. And Paul was kind enough to write my back page column uh, among 20 other just legendary great superintendents who contributed to that issue. And he said flatly that it's the superintendent's job to get assistant superintendents paid what they deserve. And I couldn't agree more. You have to make that case. You can't be afraid to go in and ask. Even if you're kind of intimidated by asking for a raise for yourself, you should not be intimidated by doing the right thing for your program, which is to make sure that you have continuity and that you have a, a great assistant superintendent. Because without a great assistant superintendent, you're stuck doing all that stuff and you'll never be able to advance your course. So it, it, it's pretty clear 
that, you know, it's not easy, but sometimes you just got to grow a set and go in there and make a case and demand it. Um, it's easier to do if you're Paul Latshaw, uh, but but I think all of us are capable of doing that when the when the time demands it. I also think we have to get rid of this stigma that everything has to be on a timetable, right? You graduate college, you're 22, 23, 24 years old. It's almost like there's this stigma in the golf industry that you have to become a head super, superintendent by a, a certain age, you know, whether it's 30 or 31 or right. or 32. And there are a lot of really good assistant superintendent jobs out there that that are better than actually being a superintendent it's Could the old, be. it's the old uh, i relate a lot of things to football would you would you rather be an assistant on nick saban staff where you're getting paid well you're learning from a, a legend you're, you're you're in a pretty stable place you know there's going to be turnover or would you rather be the head coach at my alma mater indiana or, or yeah. purdue and i think the industry needs to celebrate some of these assistant superintendents that have been around for a long time and have worked for great bosses at great clubs and so, some of them do really well there's nothing wrong i guess with staying the course sometimes, is, is there a path? No, but you have to be able to afford to do it. And, and that's the problem is you've got a lot of young people that just can't afford. You know, it's not like they're 23 anymore. A lot of these folks are 26, 27, 28, 30 years old. They've got kids. They've yep. got bills. And, and you just can't survive on $37,000 a year when and working 70 hours a week during the season. So it, something has to change. We, we have to look at that differently. I, w I was heartened to hear that a few people that had, uh, you know, prepared for giving their employees raises or increased budgets accordingly are sticking with that. They feel like it's still the right thing to do, even if the government isn't requiring them to do that. And I think that that in the long run, that they'll be happy they made that decision. So some interesting new things came out this year we, we finally have a uh, nematode solution yeah. after nemaker well uh, apparently yeah we have wider mowers especially in rough yep. which are vast areas of turf that need to be maintained we have some new dollar spot options we also have uh, some new utility vehicles that are going high tech with usb ports and things like that pat <laughs> is there anything you saw in your travels that, that's coming out or that was out that really uh fascinates you and, and makes you think that this is going to be something a lot of superintendents are going to benefit from? Probably all of the above. Well, the, yes. I mean, obviously, yeah. we've talked a lot about a lot of that stuff. It is good to see. There's actually several new options for nematodes, which is great. I think that, you know, the I, I think probably the bunker technologies continue to be the thing that has, has had the most impact. The newer options that are out there those are really revolutionizing uh, the world for superintendents because that's been, you know, I, quite honestly, they've gotten really, really good at growing greens. You know, the, the grass on the greens is okay, roll, rolling, mowing. You know, it, you just don't see greens getting killed the way you used to back in the day. But bunkers have become the new pain in the butt. And and so by having these systems that don't wash out as frequently, you know, that get playable more quickly, I, I think it's a huge thing. So, so I think that that's a technology, and then I'll, I'll jump on one that's kind of weird, and that's the the clubs that are beginning to equip their carts with USB chargers, to so that uh, that golfers can charge their phones and and uh, uh, you know feel like their their uh, their digital equipment is welcome on the golf course. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with this whole thing of people bringing music on the golf course. I have, I, you may have been with me that was, watched the Masters on my iPad while I was playing golf. 
doesn't get any better than that. That was awesome. But you can't do that unless you've got a power source and everything else. So We so watched it's it a in a minivan th- on the way to Charlotte yeah, right. for the GCI Tech <laughs> that's Conference, right. too. I forgot about that. <laughs> so so, so I, I look to things like that that are making golf more comfortable and accessible for people as much as I look at new uh, turf products. There were some natural disasters this year. We had uh, Hurricane Matthew, which was probably the, the biggest hurricane since sandy yeah and, and if not maybe katrina really put a dent into the the hilton head area and they're going to be recovering for the first half of 2017 there at was least a, there was a massive flood at, at the greenbrier we had yep. wildfires not only on the west coast we had wildfires in north carolina and tennessee yep. and parts of south carolina any of those stick out to you and when, when you hear of a natural disaster What's the the one thing you think it shows about the golf industry when, when people do recover from these things? Resiliency. It's amazing. You know, it is. It, and, and it's just something that uh, it always strikes you, how people pull together and how it's the whole community, you know. And that was true with the Greenbrier. It was certainly true with the Hurricanes where all the local guys were pitched in and helped each other. You know, I've always said this is the only business in the world where, where competitors that are located directly across the street – uh, and competing against each other every single day for rounds and revenue will help each other <laughs> when, yeah. when, whenever the, the situation demands it. So, so yeah, it's, it's that resiliency of the industry and, and, and the fact uh, uh, that at least now, at least now after Katrina and some of the, the laws that prohibited us from getting FEMA assistance, at least that's an opportunity for courses that have, you know, disaster-level damage. Uh, is to to make a claim via FEMA, and that that claim that ability wasn't there after Katrina hit. So good on the golf industry for lobbying and getting that changed. And I think what what we found is that there were some superintendents in Hilton Head and Savannah that really got ahead of the storm and started lining yeah. up some of their recovery efforts after the storm. I know Nelson Karen at the Ford Plantation told me that he had a few tree contractors and lined up before the storm to help with uh, stuff that following week. And that, that's taking a risk on a superintendent's end because if, if you have those services lined up and the storm doesn't come, uh, that, that your, your GM or your uh, board's going to ask, hey, hey, why did we spend money on this? But you can also be the hero if you plan it out right too. Exactly. And that shows some of the leadership skills that some of these superintendents have to, to put themselves on the on the line in a situation Cal- like calculated that. Calculated risk, but, but, you know, it's no different than, than courses that have gone out and bought generators and they sit there unused for 10 years. But when you need them, you need them. A lot of people made news this year. Uh, one that I think we have to mention and talk about in this podcast is Chris Tritabaugh at Hazeltine. He really uh, brought Ryder Cup preparations onto anyone's mobile device that, that had an interest in seeing how a Ryder Cup course gets prepared. I, I think he did more than that. I think he changed the way that super that, – I think he changed the perception about what superintendents are – during a, a major event. It's not a major championship, I guess, in the technical sense, but I, I would consider it yep. to be a major event. And, and Chris just opened the door. You know, it was, it was, it was really remarkable. And one of my I, – I, I really, really wish that I'd blown up my schedule and gone up and been there, but I, I couldn't do it. But he, he opened the door to the world. And, and, and said, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. There was no magic or mystery or secrets. Uh, right off the bat, he had a, a, a tweet with a picture of all of his cutting heights. Okay, great. No secrets here. Uh, green speeds, et cetera. Although I think he, early on he told everybody that they were Ryder Cup speed. And, and uh, that was nice and became a hashtag. But, you know, he answered every question patiently and diligently. He, 
he showcased the the volunteers having a good time. He made it really clear that this wasn't uh, this wasn't brain surgery here. That they were there to to have fun and that everybody knew what their jobs were. So there wasn't quite as militaristic or or, or you know organized to a fare thee well. I think as some others. So it really it really you know I think sets a, a great tone for the future. That uh, that you know to welcome people inside this process and to demystify it a little bit. And, and, you know, probably the, the only other thing that we need to do in the future is to tell everybody how much it costs, because this has always been the issue when you when you have, you know, every year in April with the Masters and, and you know, these expectations of golfers that are created by these these, you know, facilities that are quite literally spending uh, five or seven million dollars more than they would. Uh, on a on a golf course operation and all the infrastructure and everything that that, that comes with that, uh, you know, and communicate to golfers that you you can't afford this. <laughs> Don't even think about it. You know, enjoy it for what it is, which is this sort of fantasy land that's that's created by spending a lot of money with a lot of people. But no, I think Chris deserves all the credit in the world. I already considered him to be a legend of social media, and, and now we're stuck with the the question of of how exactly do we honor Chris. Uh, at the social media awards this year in Orlando uh, because uh, he kind of took it to a new level. So uh, I guess look for something creative from us uh, this year at the uh, at the tweet up. And, and another neat thing he did at the Ryder Cup too, it wasn't just him sending out images and videos and answering questions. Yeah. He really let his volunteers yeah. do that too. And, and some of the the volunteers on these major championship staffs are, are superintendents, and oh. they want they want to take take pictures and, and show their perspective on whatever hole they're working on or whatever tasks they have. And you can't say that that is the culture at all the major championships right now, unfortunately. Hopefully, hopefully it becomes a norm. What we saw at Hazeltine, not an anomaly. Yeah, I hope so too. And and it really is. Uh... It was just great, and I just can't get over, you know, the pictures of him walking around in his his red, white, and blue uh, uh, American flag Chuck Taylor Converse All-Stars, and, and it couldn't be more different. Not to say there was anything wrong with the way everybody else was doing it, but it couldn't have been more different. It was, it was refreshing, and and I hope it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lesson for others to look at in the future. So we had this great celebration of golf at Hazeltine, and then— Right after the Ryder Cup ended, we lost Arnold Palmer. Yeah. You had a few personal encounters with him. What impact did Arnold have on golf course superintendents? What what impact did he have on on the business in your mind? Well, he taught me that that you can be nice to anybody. That yeah. under that, that kindness is not beyond anybody, because that's what Arnold Palmer was. And the the stories that came out, my my experiences with him, he was kind. And he went out of his way to help people. He, you know, he, he, he did things for people. The story that really never came out was how much money he and, and Winnie had raised over the years for Children's Hospital in Orlando and, and, and other causes. You know, he was always there. And, and, and just, it's, it's, it's what, to me, that's what the game's about is, you know, Harvey Penick said, if you play golf, you are my friend. And, and, and I think, I think Palmer lived in that spirit, and 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 I think I, I hope I try to live in that spirit. You know, I always say, if you grow grass, you're my friend, and, and so so 
Mr. Palmer was just, I, there'll never be another person like him. And, 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 and you can, you know, Mr. Nicholas is an unbelievable legend of the game, probably the best player ever, and, and Mr. Player and all these other people. But Mr. Palmer just engaged with people so much. And I think that's maybe a little bit of what we lost was that, that ability to connect to a, a global superstar of the game who would just be like, hi, I'm Arnold, nice to meet you. I mean, just literally, he would grab your hand with that gigantic hand of his, and you would just feel like you'd been friends forever. And then you'd see him again a year later in an airport or two years later at, a, at an event, and he'd say, hey, Pat, how's it going? How are the kids? How's the wife? Blah, 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 blah. Amazing. Just blows my mind how good he was. And so, yeah, it, it was sad. We had him longer than we probably deserved to have him, though. Eventually, we have to lose all of them, and uh, that that was that was a sad moment. Five seconds can go a, a long way. Just give someone five seconds of your time, and that's something that another human being can remember for the rest of their life. Another person who gave a lot of time to a lot of people in this business just retired, David Stone. Yeah, yeah. What type of impact do you think he had on the industry? He was obviously one of the uh, deans of Zoysia Grass and did a lot of innovative things environmentally and just dealing with people at the honors course in Tennessee. David was not a golf course superintendent. David's a teacher. David's uh, is an educator and a motivator and a, and a, he, he gives lessons, you know? So, and there's a lot of those guys out there, but David might've been, you know, one of those guys that that's head and shoulders above, above other folks. And, and that's one of the wonderful things about this business is there are so many Davids who, who you know, and 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 Paul Latchaws and Matt Schaefer's and and I'm gonna I, I'll shut up now. Jeff Markow and it, it, there's there's hundreds of them that 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 feel that that's the most important part of the job, is to is to share and to train and to inspire and to motivate. So. Uh, the, 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 I think it's great. I think it's great that David's going to retire. I think it's great that he's going to continue to be a member there. And, and, and as he puts it you know, to, to, the, to the new guy, who's you know, not a new guy, but to the new guy is, I think I can help you more as a member than I ever could as, as a superintendent. And I, I thought that was a great comment that he made. Maybe he'll become Green Committee chairman. Uh, <laughs> we could only be so lucky. <laughs> could only be so lucky. GCI also had a big year, Pat. We, we did? We just had a... Awesome December issue where we did something that nobody's ever done before in yeah. this industry. And we also hosted our first event. Tell our listeners, followers, and readers about some of the, the cool things we did this year and some of the things they should expect moving into 2017. Well, number one, I give all the credit in the world to Mike Zawacki and Guy Cipriano for just making us look so good because I get all the credit and they do all the work. Um, yeah, I, 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 after much hesitation, I was very pleased with the uh, – with the conference, mostly pleased with the, the, the response to the, the format of bringing together a whole bunch of really smart people in one room and just having them talk and, and listening. And the biggest complaint we had from people was there was too much. There was too much information. There was so much good stuff. It was overwhelming. So we will be doing more of those in the future. And I think this year we're going to focus on the topic of labor. Uh, and we'll have details about that soon. The December issue thing, I got to tell you, that came out of out of looking at that issue every single year, and I see some of the other magazines, they do the year in review, and they do this, and, and, and we really just didn't have kind of a theme for it. And I kept thinking, you know, what if we just ask everybody to write something? And, 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 and the theme of it was really simple, right? Kind of a first-person thing, 750 words on a topic that you're passionate about. 
what what you know what are you passionate about in your job or your industry or your life or or whatever else and it sort of grew from there and, and uh, i was just overwhelmed i was looking at it actually i was looking i opened it up this morning and there next to each other there's an article by jim roney legendary guy from Sock and Valley who, to my knowledge, has never written an article from, for anybody. And on the opposite page is an article by Jeff Markow from Cypress Point, to whom my knowledge has never written anything for anybody. And it just made me so happy. And the response has been, the response has been great. So we'll continue to do that. But, you know, the whole idea is to, to let readers tell their story and, and to, to let them decide what's important. I, so I, I, I think we'll be doing more of that throughout the year, but we'll definitely be doing TurfHeads Takeover in December 2017 as well. I was lucky. I get to see the first versions of what the TurfHeads sent in. And it's amazing how well golf course superintendents Right. It yeah. did not take a lot of tweaking or overhauling. I think a lot of them have wives who are pretty good copy editors or girlfriends too. But but yeah, I, I was I was incredibly impressed. And, and what I told the ones I spoke to on the phone after they sent in their articles, uh, I, I said, "You write way better than I could grow and maintain <laughs> grass." I mean, this this yeah, is it's not really these fair. contributors. <laughs> this isn't their primary job. I mean, they, they write a bit. They communicate with their members that way. But it, it was probably. Uh, a very small part of their weeks just putting those articles together whenever they got those done. And then we have some communicators in this business that, that can do it in all, all forms. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, we look at a whole bunch of different green industry markets here at, at, at GIE Media. We serve the, the, the lawn and landscape industry, the pest control industry, the nursery, various nursery businesses, and even the cannabis business. And, and superintendents continue to, I think, be the most adept at social media out of all those markets. Uh, they continue to be, I think, the best cheerleaders for each other, maybe because it's not as much of a, a competitive small business environment, say, as lawn care operations or something like that. And, and they continue to be the most willing to share information. And, and, and that's just a huge thing. You know, it's just it's it's such a it makes it such a joy to come to work every day because you know that people uh, uh, are, are, are going to help each other and, and that we've got this this environment in our market of goodwill and sharing of information and, and mutual support and passion. Pat, there are a lot of people that are envious of you because you get to see some incredible places on a regular basis. What was something you saw this year away from our office here in Ohio that, that really uh, stuck out to you? Well, on a personal note, Yosemite National Park, which blew my mind. I can't believe that I hadn't been there before, so I want to thank the Sierra Nevada Superintendents Association for inviting me out to do a <clears throat> speech uh, that allowed me to go visit Yosemite National Park. Uh, it was great. Uh, but, but on a professional level and, and I guess a personal level, it was going up to Crystal Downs in Michigan and, 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 and meeting Mike Morris for the first time. You know, he started there 30 years ago. I started in this business 30 years ago. We've both kind of been around the block and we'd never met, never talked to each other, which blew me away. And, and, and spending that day with, with Mike and, and visiting this top 20 course that is a pretty quiet place and, and seeing the culture there and, and the way the members love the place, but it's not fancy, hoity-toity. It's very down-to-earth and, and the way they view Mike as one of their family. And, and then getting to know him and, and spending four or five hours on a golf cart 
and not talking so much about dollar spot or, or what kind of the granular sand in the bunkers. We're talking about Shakespeare. And we we're talking about he's an English major too, and we we're talking about uh, family. And, and uh, so, anytime you get a chance to make a new friend is a special time. But when you get to do it at a place that fantastic and and, and with the the culture and the atmosphere there, it just doesn't get any better. So, so that was a big moment. But I had a great year. <laughs> I really did. I I I went to a lot of cool places and saw a lot of great stuff and and. And made a lot of new friends, and, and for me, that's what it's all about. Is uh, is uh, you know a lot of people say you know he who dies with the most toys wins, or you know he who dies with the most money wins, and, and I think that he who dies with the most friends wins. We're blessed. I, I got to see some amazing places too, and uh, I remember as a child seeing commercials for the Greenbrier Resort. Yeah, I lived in Western Pennsylvania. You would see the commercials, the thirty-second spots. Come to the Greenbrier. We have this amazing history. We have these golf courses. We're in the mountains of Southern West Virginia, and to finally get to see that place this year was incredible. And what they do down there is incredible. It's the only place in the world where they not only maintain a golf course for a PGA Tour event, they also maintain practice fields for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. And that's something that the staff did on its own. They didn't really bring in any outsiders to teach they them how to do it. They just learned themselves. And, and that shows the, the the ingenuity of people in this business. They the, Their owner can go tell them that an NFL team's going to come down here and practice for three <laughs> weeks. They can tell them that in January the team's going to arrive in August and they, they can build a high-level practice field and make it better every year. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And then Unfortunately, there was a massive hundred-year flood down there, yeah. but that's going to be one of the, the stories to watch in 2017. I agree. To see how that that place rebuilds, and they're rebuilding the old white uh, golf course and some of the other ones, and they're bringing in some different architects and builders, and th- that staff will get will get it done. That staff. Uh, had a lot of issues where their personal lives were uprooted right. because of the flood, yet everyone down there is back to work and grinding. And it just shows the spirit of our industry. No matter what somebody throws at somebody at, at what time, there, there seems to be a response to it that's just remarkable. Yep, absolutely. So what are some things you'd like to see in 2017? We won't give you uh, we won't give you a chance here to give you, give the five golf courses you want to see most in 2017. How about the, the some of the things in the industry you want to see in 2017? <sighs> Wow, that's a good question. I would like to see a a concerted effort to uh, to have a conversation about raising assistant salaries and, and to do some benchmarking and to maybe get a hold of some 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 uh, compensation consultants, some people around the industry. You know, we have Bruce Williams and we have uh, Tim Morgan on our team, but also the Copland and Kluber, uh, Kluber guys, uh, Armin Suni. I would love to, to maybe maybe we can do this. Maybe we can pull together a meeting of the minds and talk about standards for, for compensation for, for assistance and to some extent for superintendents. I mean, that was one of the things that popped out of this whole overtime thing was there were quite – there was certainly a lot of superintendents that were kind of going, dang – that was a chance for me to have some overtime, you know. So what, it's not just assistance. I think that's the, the biggest impact, but superintendents as well. So what can we do to get compensation right and to ensure that that work can we can continue to to, you know, maintain and operate golf courses the the, the way that we want to, with with people that that are are well compensated. So I think that's thing number one. I'm, I'm looking forward to the USGA's Innovation Summit in uh, March up in, I believe it's in Vancouver, to kind of see what they're beginning to embrace. Uh, because I, 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 as much as I, I, I was a, a critic of what the USGA did about the rules at the U.S. Open this year, 
and how I kind of thought they shot themselves in the foot. I, I give them all the credit in the world. They're doing remarkable things to support our side of the business. And Mike Davis has been a great friend to golf course superintendents. Um, uh, you know, I know there's there's folks close to us that wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into you that. You can't make everybody happy when you're the leader of a major no, organization like that. But but yeah. but I I think on whole their communications, the videos that they do uh, are tremendous, great education, and and they're this such an important. It's so important to have the USGA telling the story of superintendents and agronomy and the environment to to their constituency who are the members of clubs. I'm looking forward to seeing what innovations come out there. I, who knows what's going to happen on the political side? I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I, I, your guess is as good as mine. So, But it'll be entertaining. I, but I do suspect, and this isn't a good thing, that you're going to see more local firefights than you do state or national things. You know, with the, with the tone in Washington, there's going to be a big adjustment at EPA and the Corps of Engineers and the United States Department of Agriculture. But that's not going to change a thing at the local level with attempts to ban pesticides or restrict fertilizer usage or uh, noise ordinances, which pop up occasionally where you've got issues with blowers or, or mowing equipment before certain hours. So I, I think we'll continue to do that. Um, I mean, how many am I at? That four now? Um, let's see. What am also I looking forward to next year? Um, I'm looking forward to sending Guy Cipriano to cover the Masters. Wow, that might be the most challenging story of my career because that's going to a place where you can't take pictures or interview the the people involved. That's why wow, I'm, you got that's me why really, I'm sending uh, you. You got me really uh, <laughs> perplexed right now. I've had some big challenges in my career uh, dealing with, with people that didn't want to talk to me or weren't allowed to talk to me. And I'm, I'm trying, uh, trying to figure this one out now that you mentioned it. But there's always a way to get the story, Pat. There you go. There you go. Well, somehow we made it through this entire podcast without mentioning the new president by name and the guy who just returned to competitive golf. So a lot of credit on that one. It should be an exciting 2017. It was a, a good, positive, encouraging 2016 in a lot of ways. And Pat, thanks for uh, coming down to the, to the vault here on the lower level of our offices. And maybe we'll do a few more of these next year. I'm going to move my office down here. I love it. I think it's awesome. And uh uh, kudos to you for doing these guys. These, these are really, really good. And, uh, you know, I hope people out there will, will let us know what they want to hear about and who they want to hear in interviews, because this is really cool. And, uh, I, I hope you all have a great holiday and I hope you all have a great season. And I hope we see, uh, some of you, uh, in Orlando for the big golf show. But for those of you who won't be there, uh, have an awesome season and make sure to email us or call us if you have any great ideas. And don't forget, get your ideas together for Turfheads Takeover in December 2017.